0: But it's not the origin of you and I. And last week, Pastor Jamel led us through salvation—how the salvation starts now, and it's by God's grace. He had the imagery of the river going away, the river of God's mercy going away, bring away all of our fallenness, and then the river of grace coming back to God. And this week, we're looking at peace. And we're going to look at this in the context of Romans. 1-7, so I'll go ahead and open your, your Bibles up or the words are on the screen. Here's Paul's greeting to the church in Rome. He says, to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack this verse to take a look at peace, but even as I was preparing and then sitting in here in worship, the very beginning of this seems pretty, pretty important. At the very beginning, he addresses this church, this fragile church in a, in a pretty scary time. They don't really have the, the term Christian yet, and so he calls the church God's beloved. As we start off, I want to invite you to hear that as yourself and hear that as, as us as a body. And so let's let's pray and ask God to speak. And let's let's ask him to open our hearts to see ourselves the way that he sees us, okay? Let's pray together. God Almighty. You please gently speak to us as your beloved. We go by a lot of names and we have been called a lot of names and we identify as a lot of things, but I pray that above all that we might see ourselves as your beloved. And as we open up your word, that we might hear as your beloved, that we might leave as the ones whom you love might live that way. God, give me words that aren't words that I want to say, but that your church needs to hear. Allow us to see you at work in our, in our past, in our presence, and in hope for our future. Thanks in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to unpack this, this verse a bit. And as you can see, we will get to peace in this verse, but we're going to put it in a context that I believe will, will make it even richer for us. So this, this introduction is written to God's beloved in Rome. And we know a little bit about Rome, right? You, in, even in like world history, we hear some about Rome. Rome was a superpower. It had military strength. It had the strength of trade and money. It had cultural control. Whatever happened in Rome happened everywhere. Rome was the center of the world, and people wanted to be in the center of Rome. So the, the Roman Empire spread all over the place, but if you could get your way to Rome, the city, and if you could get your way to be in the very center of life in Rome there seemed to be some security there This is to all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints Now Paul's calling us or the church in Rome he's calling them a lot of names here He's calling them beloved he's calling them saints Now this word saints is is like the word holy it's people Who are set apart. The saints are the people who are distinct because of God's presence in them. And as we talked about in Rome, you want to be in the center of Rome. This idea of saints feels like you want to be in the center of God's people, right? Does that make some sense? You're set apart. You're the center of where God's moving, of who God has called, and this idea of being in the center. That's a very Roman. Understanding. People who would hear that would say, okay, I get that. If I want to be in the center of, if I want to be secure in the Roman Empire, I move to the center of Roman life and culture and politics. And if God is calling his saints, then I want to be in the center of what God is doing. As I think of that phrase, called to be saints, I think of Acts 10, where we see Peter This Jewish believer having a vision that God is calling him to go to Cornelius, a Roman Gentile. You see, where this is significant is in culture and politics, Cornelius is in the center and Peter is on the margins. But when it comes to faith, well, Peter sees himself in the center. He's one of the apostles. He was a disciple. And Cornelius, he is off in the margins. He may have the political control. He may have a name in the Roman world, but in the kingdom of God, he's he's out in the margins. And what does God do? He gives Peter a vision. Peter's up on the roof, hungry. The vision of the The big sheet with all the animals, if you remember, in Acts 10. If you don't go read it, it's a fascinating story. But the verse that stands out is God says to Peter, Do not call common what I have called holy. Do not call common what I've called holy. And then all of a sudden Cornelius' men come to the door... These very common men, these men on the margins who don't really matter to Peter. Peter doesn't feel called to go to them, except God had just met him and said, "Don't I've called them holy. I have called them set apart. They're to be saints. As you know, the story of Acts 10 and 11... Peter goes out to Cornelius' house. He goes to the margin of his faith. He says, hey, I don't even belong here. You know that I'm not supposed to be here. And there, on the margin, he experiences God. And he says, who could withhold the waters of baptism? Who could say that that isn't the Holy Spirit at work? The very place he didn't expect to see God moving, God was moving. God was calling Cornelius and his household saints, and we get this glimpse of where God where God moves and where we expect him to move. In Romans 1-7, Paul goes on and he says, grace to you. Now last week, Pastor Jamel talked about this river that flows back to God being grace, that We're brought back to God in ways that we have access that we can't earn on our own, that we don't deserve. And yet God in his goodness brings us to himself. This undeserved merit, this grace that we're given. And then grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is our topic for this morning. Now in Rome, they knew peace. It's very significant that Paul is writing of peace to the people of Rome. At the time of this, there was this thing called Pax Romana and Pax Augusta, which means the peace of Rome and the peace brought by by, uh, their emperor. It was this lasting peace that people felt like in their lifetime and in their children's lifetime, they will only know peace. But the reason they will only know peace is because Rome was so powerful. Because when Rome flexed his muscles, nobody could rise up against her. And so there was this great peace that came upon. As long as Rome remained in power and you remained in the center of Rome, then you would live in peace. And so Paul is writing to this church he's never visited, and he's praying peace onto that church. Why would he pray and and bless them with peace? peace when they already know peace. Right? Sometimes I think here in the U.S. we get tripped up on some of the things of scripture because we think we already know them, we already experience them. So the people, he's writing to the church in Rome, and the people in the church in Rome are not really the people who would experience the peace of Rome. They know of it, They hear of it, but they don't experience it. The the church in Rome, they were not invited into the center of Roman life. The church in Rome were, were Jews and Gentiles. But the Jews had been kicked out of Rome and brought back into Rome and all of this movement. The Gentiles there, many of them were slaves. They were Roman slaves or they were A people without citizenship. It wasn't were they legal or illegal aliens. They were not citizens in their former country and they are not Roman citizens. They're just paperless. They just have to exist in an empire without any proof of them existing. The people in the church of Rome came from families. The ones who were Roman came from Roman families who would adopt their children into more wealthy Roman families so that those children would know more peace. This is something that often happened in the Roman Empire. If I I am poor and you have more money or more prestige in Rome, I will give you my child to raise as your own because, well, then they will know this peace and this Roman peace. I, I want my child to know it, so just anything to get ahead. They'll marry off their daughters. They'll adopt out their sons. They'll do whatever it takes. And and yet this church in Rome are the people on the margins of the Roman society. They're on the outside. They're, They're not citizens. Many are slaves. Many feel unwanted and they're being called beloved and they're being called saints and they're being offered peace. We say peace a lot. What is this? We know that there's the Hebrew word shalom. There's this definition that is used pretty often. I keep reading it that I I like. It's God's wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. When you think of peace, I want to offer this to you. We're not talking about the absence of conflict. Oftentimes we think peace is is like a, something is taken away and that gives us peace. That, I, I settle for that. Peace is when my kids are quiet. That's not, that's not peace. That's just like momentary relief. Those are different things. The kingdom of God offers us something bigger than momentary relief. Often we'll settle for that moment, right? But this peace is God's wholeness. Not even my wholeness or your wholeness. God's wholeness. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. It is for you as an individual, but is never experienced individually alone. It's for each of us as specific people, but it's experienced together. Because if nothing is broken, that means there's community and relationship. If there's nothing missing, that means that there's community and relationship, that there's things happening here. Now, this is written to Rome. And as we unpack this, I think we have to see some things. Now, peace is not security. And I think we would settle for it to be sometimes. You see, security is is in the center. Security is Rome has this powerful empire. If you can get yourself to Rome and become somebody in Rome, then you're secure until somebody overthrows Rome. And then there's a new center, and you've got to find your way into that center to be secure. Shalom, peace, is a gift given to the margins. You look throughout scripture and you look throughout church history and just history in general, the peace of God, this wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken, is going to the margins. It's going away from the place where there's power, away from the place where we say, hey, I can find security if I stay in this place. So I remember a couple years ago, um, I, was, I was talking to some people who have my hue, and, and they, were, they were upset about, uh, about the historically black church, didn't understand the historically black church. And I said, well, how come? And if I'm stepping on toes, that's what we do sometimes. But they said, how, how come there is a black church? I want to go to the black church. And I said, you can go to the black church. I said, no, it's, it's called the black church. I'm like, well, that's like its name. It picked it up around the way. You can go. I'm like, no, I can't. And why is there a black church? There's not a white church. And I looked around. I'm like, well, we kind of are the white church. We just call ourselves the church. <laughs> And there's a little bit of that that goes on, right? We just normalized our hue and said, that's the church, and anything else gets a first name. But there was real, there was something upsetting about the black church, and it was that God was moving in this church, and they felt like they were outside of uh, the reach of being able to be in a place that God was moving. And so we looked together, where does the church come from? And we looked into the AME church, where the AME church comes from, its unique origin. And best I could tell, as I dug in a little bit, the AME church began because some people were recognizing that at the margin of the kingdom of God moving in the United States, there were a bunch of African-American people who were being filled with the Holy Spirit, were being moved by God, and were not invited into membership into the church. And so they prophetically said, well, if we are enough to be children of God and we are enough to be beloved and saints, we are enough to be members of the church, and if we can't be members of your church, we will be members of a church and we'll start a church. And so a church was started and God moved. And God moved powerfully within this church and people in the center who looked like the center, saw God moving on the margin, and got a little upset. Does that make some sense as an example? This happens all the time, folks. So I was reading an article last week about our last election, and why things happened, and and why there was so much fear around it. And pretty much, in the books that I've read, and the articles that I've read, the thing that people keep stating is there was a fear that the center was moving, that the people in the center were no longer going to be in the center. And so election results resulted in, in securing the center, securing that these people remain here. And, and some, some would say that it's not about other people not coming in. It's just making sure that the center is not excluded anymore. Boiling it down, white people were nervous that white people weren't going to be the center of culture anymore. We'll hear sometimes that we will not be the majority in 20 years, and we don't know who we are if we're not the majority. ta Coates says that if power goes away from white culture, then there is no white culture, because white culture is power. Now, if we change it and say, like, I am Norwegian-American, there's a whole bunch of culture in Norway. And I know it and eat it and all of that kind of stuff. But whiteness is really just taking and appropriating. And so if we don't have that ability anymore, then we have a crisis of identity. I promise this isn't all just picking on white people today. But we have a crisis of identity if we are no longer in power. So power is very important that that stays in the center. And for as long as this country has been in its core current shape people have tried to identify more and more with whiteness to stay in that center of power. Now, here's the trick. Right now, people are like, well, if we could just change politics, it'll all be better. That won't. Moving the center doesn't change anything. Switching the center doesn't make anything better. It's still a center and the margins. And so whether we bow right or whether we bow left, we're bowing. It doesn't matter. What we really want and what we're desiring is this peace that God offers. And God is above our politics. God is above our centering of one another, of our affirming of who we think belongs inside and who we think belongs outside. In fact, I believe as we watch the kingdom of God move, he runs to what we who we marginalize and he begins to just fill them with his presence and if we want to see god at work we should go listen to the stories on the margins we should seek the shalom and sometimes that means real far from the center so i don't know if you know this but in in june one church is taking its first official mission trip It's pretty exciting. There's a few of my mission trip friends here today. We're going to Ethiopia. They won't acknowledge me right now, but they're just staring at me like, what are you saying? Are we doing something wrong? No, it's good. We're going. But it's the first mission trip, and and we're going to Ethiopia. It's going to be be great. Support them. We're going to talk about ways that you can be praying for us and all of this. Now, here's a unique observation about mission trips that is not made only by me. Mission trips, part of it is that we get far enough into the margin away from the center that we don't feel threatened. Because no matter who we are in the United States, we are in the center of something. That's what we call ourselves first world and other people third world, and sometimes there's jokes about fourth and fifth world, which is really sad jokes. But just by being in the U.S., we're in the center. And so sometimes what happens is we just try to get just past our guilt to go see God at work somewhere else and not have to deal with any of the internal work. And I'm telling you, I've led 20, 30 mission trips, and one person who's ever gone with me didn't come back saying all I saw was God at work. I saw God at work everywhere. I could see God tangibly. I could see his kingdom. I could see his healing. I could see this peace, this wholeness. These people may not, the thing you keep hearing, they may not have anything, but they're lacking nothing. On the outside, their lives look broken, but they're more whole than I. We hear this all the time. This is the peace of God at work. So this this weekend... My daughter, Anna, is not here because she was the star of a Special Olympic basketball tournament, and she is exhausted. She was hooping. She had one rebound. That's her stat line. But she's playing against people who are grown, so a rebound is pretty good. She is built low to the ground to get a rebound. That's a good sign. You put a Fitbit on her. She ran miles this weekend. The reason I bring it up is if you ever get a chance to go to a Special Olympics tournament, any kind, or spend time around people who are in Special Olympics, this is not like a church event, but you are in the middle of God's shalom. You go in the middle of that population and you experience joy that we don't have. They may have a a few less points on their IQ exam, but they are missing nothing. There is a community there that we need to learn from if we could kind of set our pride aside. There is something beautiful and powerful and like the kingdom of God and his peace, this wholeness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken every time I go around these Special Olympic athletes. So... On a place for the Louisville Flyers, and they have little bowling days and movie days and all of these kind of things where a real community gets together. It looks a whole lot like the church, or who we should be. And every time you're there, it's like take your shoes off, holy space, because God's presence in there is there. In this church, there's quite a few people who are working in uh, and with immigrant communities. And as I hear stories, you're there because you're called to be there, because you believe God has invited you there. But I hear stories of God moving, of his peace breaking through, of his shalom being there. God is at work in these spaces that that, we just would never pull into the center. We just keep running to the center. But when we go out and see where he's at work, it's powerful. I just got asked a couple days ago why we do table talks, and particularly this next one. On, on Tuesday night is our table talk on rethinking incarceration. And why we do it is because we're called to. We're called to be people of justice. Justice is restoring God's peace. It's being an active part of making sure that God's wholeness, where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. The, the main reason we're there is ob- obedience to what God's called us to. The other side reason that I'm there, and it may be even bigger, I find God's kingdom there every time. I find God's presence there. I find when I am in spaces that are about God's justice, I experience him. And that's what I kind of crave. You see, this peace is experienced when the center is surrendered. And we can't live both both in the center and to be dependent on God's peace. Here's what I'm saying by this I'm not trying to be heady, but we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to be that generic photocopy of a Christian, that generic photocopy of an American, that generic photocopy of something. We spend a lot of time trying to get into the middle where we will feel secure in this space. And God is not inviting you to do that. And if you want to experience more of him and more of his peace, then stop running to the center. And maybe, if you don't know how to do it, then turn your ears and your eyes to people on the margins and hear what God is doing. And let that be an invitation for you to just open up to what God is already doing to open up to where you are on the margins, to open up to where you don't match the center, to open up to just your, your need for who God is. First Peter has a very familiar opening, very familiar to this, this one in Romans. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, I'm going to butcher these names, sorry, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Here's the beauty of this. He's writing to people who were dispersed. They had to scatter. They couldn't be where they were home anymore. And he sends this letter that is passed from place to place. And he says to you who are scattered and don't have any security, grace... And peace. Why? Because even when you're scattered, God's grace and his peace can reach you. Even when you don't feel at home, even when you don't feel secure, even when you don't feel like you belong, even when you don't match, all of those things, his grace and his peace can reach you. In the next chapter, to this church who's scattered, who doesn't belong, he says, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These people who were pushed to the margins, literally, they were kicked out of their land, pushed to the margins, felt unwanted, and God says that they're chosen. A royal priesthood, we can't even get into all of that. but That means it's really about time that you and I stop insulting what God has done in us. We stop assaulting one another. We stop tearing people down and acting like we are common. One of the things that I've been praying for us is that we would stop calling common what he has called Holy. And that includes you calling you common. We need to stop doing that as an act of discipleship. We need to say, yes, I am fallen, but I am not giving my sinful nature that much credit. God is bigger. And if he calls me holy, then I am holy. If he calls me a saint, then I'm a saint. If he calls me beloved, I am beloved. And I feel scattered and far from home. But if he says I am chosen in a royal priesthood, that's who I am. And these people who are scattered without citizenship, who are slaves, who are captured, he calls them a holy nation. A nation that doesn't have boundaries. A nation that doesn't have a center. It's everywhere. This is a holy nation. To these people who didn't have a people, God poured out his peace and he called them A people, and his mercy covered and washed away all that doesn't match until only the saint remains. He says, Once you have not had mercy, but now you've received mercy. This peace, this shalom, where nothing is missing, where nothing is broken. Where do you need to experience that? Is there part of your life where you have just tried to push towards the norm instead of sit with your palms up saying, okay, Lord, will you just extend your mercy? The parts where you've pretended and played whole, where he's offering to say that there's nothing missing, There's nothing broken there. I'm I'm repairing, I'm healing if you let me do what I do. Different times in my life, it's been real hard for me to not just settle for being in the center, to be a Photocopy of what God's doing. It's easier to just parrot what people are saying. Or just play safe. It's easier to just not try to stand out and not say something bold to someone else or not desire a move of God. It's easier to, to not crave his peace just settle for a bit of security. But as I look back, those moments where I didn't feel secure, those moments where I let go of security, he filled with shalom those moments where I admitted that I am broken and quit pretending that I had it all together, he brought his peace in and started to fill it with this thing of his, his peace and his mercy where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And as I've gone to explore his kingdom a little bit and maybe start to believe that it's not just for people like me, not just for people who believe exactly the same or look exactly the same, or maybe God's moving in different ways, all of a sudden, I'm seeing His peace. All of a sudden, I'm seeing His kingdom at work. This, you all have taught me a lot of that. And as we look at our stories, as we look at our testimonies, part of what we need to look at is where is God inviting me? Where is He inviting you to be whole? Where is he inviting you to surrender some, some that you've held on to, so that you might experience his peace, that we might see that nothing's missing and nothing's broken? pray for us. Some of you may need someone to pray with right now. Um, if you do, a couple people will be up here. If you want someone to pray with, not not that God will just move you more into the center, but that you'll experience His, his peace, then we want to invite you to come forward and pray about that. For each of us, we have that paper bag. If you don't have one, they're in the lobby. It's just a, a lunch bag. Uh, I sound very northern when I say the word bag. But uh, there's there's lunch bags there, and that's intended to be every week. If there's an item or a word that reminds you of that week as we're building our testimony, put it in that bag, and uh, by the end of this series, we'll, we'll have a clearer story of what God's done in our life, okay? But this week, think on where have you and where will you experience God's peace, His wholeness? Nothing's missing, nothing's broken. As people come up,